0: at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. And then this is our text which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Well, our ongoing series is uh, entitled um, Celebrating the Unsearchable Riches of Christ. And I keep emphasizing the aspect of celebration, that this is something that ought to characterize our attitude as we are making through our way through this epistle of Paul to the Ephesians. We saw much of that when we expounded verse 3 to verse 14 of this chapter. But since then, we have been in this section towards the end of this chapter where the Apostle Paul is responding to what God has done in Ephesus in bringing these individuals to repentance and faith in Christ. And basically we saw that first it is an attitude of praise and thanksgiving, but second, the response is one of prayer, deliberately praying for these believers. And we noted that in his prayer, first of all, he is praying for more of the spirit of Revelation and knowledge and wisdom, and basically so that these brethren may know and out of that knowledge live a life that is truly fruitful. What should they know? There were three things. The first was for them to know the hope that they have. The second was for them to know the inheritance that God has for them in the world to come. And then the third is for them to know the power of God that would take them from where they are now and bring them safely to glory. And it is essentially this power that Paul then spends quite a bit of time, as we saw last week, opening it up because he was saying it is like the power that God exhibited when he raised Jesus from the dead When he ascended him to heaven, when he seated him at the right hand, giving him power, authority, and rule over the whole of creation. And we notice how he emphasized that he was far above all the powers that anyone can ever name in the whole of creation now and in the world to come. So it's that same power that God is exerting in our lives as he brings us from spiritual death to finally taking us to glory. Strictly speaking, I took quite some chunk of uh, our Bible last week which is very unlike myself. We began with uh, the second part of verse 19, and went all the way to the end of this chapter in verse 23. But as I was preparing to have us move to chapter 2, I just felt that the way in which Paul finally refers to the Lord Jesus Christ as him who fills all in all was a little extra. And that little extra needed us to just pause and assimilate. Pause and drink in. Because strictly speaking, he could have ended this way. Verse 22. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body. Full stop. That would have been enough. But then he went on to say, the fullness of him who fills all in all. What does he have in mind when he speaks about Jesus being him who fills all in all? Why does the Apostle Paul use this phrase? What is it that it is adding to us by way of our understanding of Christ and consequently our relationship with him? The more I studied it, the more I realized that this is one of those statements that is like Atlas. In other words, carrying a whole world on its shoulders. The New International Version interprets it this way, or rather translates it this way. Him who feels everything in every way. In a sense, that is one step in the right direction. It makes it a little easier for us to understand, but it still doesn't make it completely understandable. Part of it is quite simple. It is the fact that generally... We don't speak in terms of Jesus feeling things. The Son of God feeling anything. It's it's the third person of the the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, that we normally refer to as one who is feeling something. But here in this passage, and also a similar passage which is in chapter 4, we have Jesus feeling something. Let's quickly jump to chapter 4 because it's giving us a further hint as to what this is all about. And I'll let the cut out of the bag immediately. It's obviously speaking in terms of his control, his authority, his rule, his ability to finally have that which he wants to achieve with anything and everything. Let's see it in chapter 4, and I'll begin with verse 9. The Bible says there, in saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, which is what we we're seeing last week. And then it says that he might feel all things. Ascending high above the heavens that he might feel all things. And we were very clear last week about that which ascending into heaven meant for the Lord Jesus Christ. We saw it in verse 21. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. And then we had the phrase, and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things. So he gave him control he gave him rule, he gave him authority over all things, and that captures something of this phrase that he is one who is all in all. Obviously, the difficulty we have is often when we think in terms of feeling, we think in terms of space. So you feel something, you are occupying more and more of the space, which is what you people have done uh, as COVID has been going down. The ushers are now saying, okay, young people, go into the room out there because the auditorium has been filled, so we think in terms of space. Well, in this particular case, uh, the phrase is not so much in terms of space as in terms of The amount of control, that's the way in which this feeling is to be understood. The amount of rule, the way in which this is able to to handle literally almost anything and everything. It's the way in which you might speak in terms of, for instance, if you've got a master key, and it's, it's a key that you need in all situations. So you have something that is all in all. It is all you need in all situations. So it's that kind of understanding that is here before us. Well, let's then try and delve a little more into how Jesus is all in all. How is he? I want to begin by taking us to Colossians and chapter 1. I am convinced that in Colossians chapter 1, Paul basically expounded this same concept of Jesus being all in all. As we read verse 15 down verse 20, I want you to notice how as you make your way there, he keeps bringing this comprehensiveness. All and all and all and everything and everything. And I want you to notice how he's capturing Jesus being above and being in control of all this. In fact, if you ever read the passage we are looking at, and read Colossians 1, you would soon notice that it's a good parallel. It's uh, the other side. And it's because both of them were written at the same time. Uh, Paul was in prison as he was uh, writing these letters. And it's fairly evident that they were written close to each other. So the prayer that is just before this, if you compare it to the prayer that Paul was making in, in Ephesians 1, it's basically the same thing. Praying for the Spirit to provide knowledge and so on, it's it's all there to strengthen the believers. Uh, but let's quickly read verse 15. He, referring to Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, and I brought out here the firstborn being the status, not simply the first one to be born, but the status given to a firstborn as heir of all things for by him all things there we are. so all creation, by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible so The creation comes from him. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. So these powers are ones that came into existence through him. All things were created through him and for him. I want you to notice the extra for him. Verse 17. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold Together, we will be seeing these things in more detail as we go on. The point is, he sustains all things. Verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything, again, all things, he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things. Again, that's where he is taking everything he is controlling to reconciliation to himself. He is bringing all things in that direction, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his So really what I want us to do is take a few steps backwards and say, okay, how does the Bible bring all this out? And I have four or five areas before me here. How does this come out in especially Paul's writings that Jesus is our all in all? Well, we've already noticed here a number, and I'll keep just taking us through each one of them. First of all, it is the fact that he upholds all things. He upholds all things. So he didn't just create them, but anything that still is there, whether physical or that is material or in another sense spiritual, it is upheld by Jesus Christ. Otherwise, it would disappear completely out of existence. I mentioned the fact that we'll be in Corinthians quite a bit. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 8. 1 Corinthians 8 and verse 6. First Corinthians 8 and verse 6. Maybe I'll begin reading from verse 4 just so that we see the context. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven and on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things from whom are all things, and listen to this, and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and then he says, and through whom we exist. So our very existence is through the Lord Jesus Christ. Or as the author of Hebrews puts it in chapter 1 of Hebrews, chapter 1 and verse 3. Hebrews and chapter 1. The Bible says there that he is the radiance, referring to Jesus again, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. So in that sense, we can understand that he is all in all. In other words, whatever the all might be, he is the all that is upholding it. That's the first sense in which we are to understand Jesus being all in all. The fact that you are alive now from your birth but even now the fact that you haven't disintegrated into nothingness is because of the Son of God. The second is that he governs all things leading them to his own appointed end. He governs all things, leading them to his appointed end. Back to First Corinthians. And this time, chapter 15 and verse 28. Chapter 15 and verse 28. Again, I'll begin a few verses before, and again, I want you to notice this aspect of authority and power and so on. Verse 24, then comes the end when he, referring to Jesus, delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. We were learning from that in the last song that we sang from the, from the second psalm. That he's on the throne and he is going to destroy all the enmity, the wickedness, the evil that is against him. He must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. You remember that from Ephesians and chapter 1. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. And then verse 28, when all things are subjected to him, then the son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him. And there is the phrase that God may be all in all. So, although the world seems to be at enmity with God, Although it seems to be triumphing against the gospel, be sure that Jesus Christ is sitting on the throne of the entire universe and he is leading history. He is head of all things. He is king of kings. He is lord of lords. He is president of all presidents. He is prime minister of all prime ministers. He is governor of all governors. He is leading history to its closure. He is all in all. He is the actual power that is everything and therefore leading the whole of history to its desired end. And when the last of his elect has finally come in, he will arise from his throne, he will descend upon planet Earth, he will wrap up the whole of history, he will usher in eternity. He is all in all. There's a third sense in which we are to understand all in all. And it is that he empowers all things. So to begin with, he upholds all things. Number two, he governs all things. Number three, he energizes all things. He empowers all things. In other words, he is the one who enables us to do anything that we are enabled to do, especially that which is spiritual, that which is for the good of others and for the glory of God. We cannot do that without his enabling power. Two verses, and it will make the point. First of all, chapter 12 of uh, 1 Corinthians, chapter 12, chapter 12, I begin reading from verse 4. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, listen to this, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Another way you could say that is all in all. All in all. And he's the one who is doing this work. In other words, we would not be able to serve him at all if it were not for his empowering capacity, his energizing capacity that moves us to serve him. The Apostle Paul in chapter 15 of First uh, Corinthians again speaks thus about himself. First Corinthians 15 and verse 10. Uh, He begins by saying in verse 8 about himself, 1 Corinthians 15, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. So what brought about this change what is it that has turned a person who was persecuting the church, wanting to destroy it, to one that became the foremost of the apostles to the point where, in fact, he gave us more than half of our New Testament letters, planted more churches than any of the other apostles did? Well, look at the way he puts it in verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. That phrase there is, the grace of God towards me, was not without effect. Was not without effect. So it was effective in me. And then he puts it this way. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I but the grace of God that is with me. So I worked harder, but it's really not me. It's God's grace, God's empowering grace that has enabled me to do what I have been able to do. So in that sense again, he is all in all that I do. He is all in all that I do. Whatever it is we accomplish, it is because he has enabled us. Another sense in which we can speak about Jesus being our all in all is that he satisfies all our aspirations. He satisfies all our aspirations. So, he upholds all things. He governs all things. He empowers all things. He satisfies all our aspirations. The best place to peep now is really the end of the Bible. Revelation chapter 21. Remember, he's driving everything to a desired end. And when we read Revelation chapter 21, you can't help but notice the sense of satisfaction at last. The sense of fulfillment at last. Look at the way he puts it here. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. And the picture here, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I saw that yesterday at North Mid Assemblies as Linda was getting married to David. The the satisfaction, the fulfillment of her dreams. In children's bedtime stories, it often ended this way and they got married and lived Happily ever after. (sighs) I know for many marriages that's not quite what happened. but uh, (laughs) Still, the picture here is that of the satisfaction, fulfillment, and so on. But let's go on. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God. Is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Now there it is, our all in all is now with us. Look at the consequences of this. We are told in verse 4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Again, wow! That's that's the dream that we have. That's, That's the life that we long for. And it is all being fulfilled in the a son and work of Jesus Christ. As if that's not enough, verse 5. And he who, who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end. And we know who that is. Jesus Christ. But it doesn't end there. Listen to this. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Now if you ever had traveled through a desert like the Sahara And finally, finally, you stumbled across a spring of water. Everything in you would be screaming, Finally, here is that which I am thirsting and dying for. Here it is. There it is written. The satisfaction of the thirst. And then verse 7 the one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. Here is the final inheritance that you are to dwell in forever and ever and ever. Again, that's what Jesus is. He is everything that we need in the whole of life. He is all in all. He is going to satisfy all our deepest longings. There's not a single iota of our being that will remain longing for something else that Jesus would not have satisfied. And then finally, he is all in all in that he is going to be glorified in all things. He is going to be glorified in all things. So he upholds all things. He governs all things. He energizes all things. He satisfies Our deepest longings, and then finally, He is glorified in all things. And we can see that in uh, Romans and the end of chapter 11. The end of Romans 11. The end of Romans 11. The Apostle Paul says, I begin reading from verse 33, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaired? And here it is, the all in all. For from him... And through him and to him are all things. Notice that to him are all things. And then he says, to him be glory forever. Amen. In other words, in, he is all in all. He is the one to get all the praise situation. In all things, all the praise goes to him. And so you can see how pregnant this little phrase is when the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 1 and verse 23, which is his body, the fullness of him who feels all in all. He alone is able to feel All in all. To to play that part that nobody else can play. To play that part that he shares with nobody else. He alone is there. And he fully satisfies that particular role. That's what Jesus Christ is. To go back to the picture I used, he is the master key that you will ever need. He is the one who will open literally every door that is there as far as life situations are concerned. He is that key. He alone is all in all. He is, in other words, all that you need, all Oh, it doesn't matter what area of life it might be. Jesus, ultimately, in all that he is, is sufficient for you. He is. So let me ask you a simple question. What are you living for? Who are you living for? What is it that you say, if if I can only achieve that, I will be a very happy person. I will be fulfilled. I will be satisfied. What is it? Human love? Well, ask your friends whether they got married and lived happily ever after. Money. A lot of individuals have ended up committing suicide, leaving millions in their account. Properties that are as huge as a golf course because they discovered. They were chasing a mirage pool. It did not satisfy. Fame, so that you can be well-known in the world? Same thing. Individuals who've had their faces on glossy magazine covers have been found the next day to have killed themselves overdosed still chasing after something what is it that you are living for when you wake up in the morning and you drive out there into the world what is it that drives you power century. Individuals who've reigned upon so many millions on this earth have been the most miserable in the end and destroyed themselves and their families. What are you living? The Apostle Paul here is saying Christ alone is all in all. He alone is able to satisfy your deepest cravings because he's the one who created all things. He's the one who governs all things. He's the one who upholds all things. He's the one who energizes all all things therefore he alone is able to satisfy that craving if not in time definitely in eternity definitely he will and is taking history to that end hymn writers have captured this so well in at least two hymns that I want to quote from. One of them says, I cannot tell. And just two stanzas from there, stanza three and stanza four says, I cannot tell how he will win the nations, how he will claim his earthly heritage, how satisfy the needs and aspirations of east and west, of sinner and of sage. But this I know, all flesh Will see his glory, and he shall reap the harvest he has sown, and some glad day his sun shall shine in splendor when the Savior, Savior of the world, is known. I cannot tell how all the lands shall worship when at his bidding every storm is still. Or who can say how great the jubilation when all the hearts of men with love are filled? But this I know. The skies will thrill with rapture. And myriad, myriad human voices sing. And earth to heaven and heaven to earth will answer at last at last the savior savior of the world is king Will you be part of that that voice thrilled with rapture that is basically saying here is my full Full satisfaction. And then lastly, the hymn, The Sons of Time Are Sinking. Again, the third and last stanza. The hymn writer says, O Christ, he is the fountain, the deep, sweet well of love. The deep, sweet well of love. He's, he says, the streams on earth have tested more deep our drink above. There, to an ocean fullness, his mercy, mercy doth expand, and glory, glory dwelleth in Emmanuel's land. And finally, capturing on the picture of bride and bridegroom, the bride... Eyes not her garment, but her dear bridegroom's face. I will not gaze at glory, but on my king of grace. Not at the crown he gifted, but on his pierced hand. The lamb is all the glory in Emmanuel's land. My plea, dear friends, is make Christ your all in Come to him with all your being. Submit to him. Live for his glory alone in all things. Whatever it is you do for a living, in your marriage, in your recreation, whatever it is. Do it all for his glory. And there is a satisfaction you will know that the people of this world know absolutely nothing about. Make Jesus your all.